Good morning. It's wonderful to see all of you. We're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning. If you would turn there in John chapter 1. We're looking at this wonderful passage during Christmas, Advent season, so that we will know how to think rightly about what God has done in sending his Son into the world at Christmas, but even more so, so that when we sing, O come, let us adore him, we will have fuel for our adoration. And this passage provides us with a whole lot of content to fuel our adoration of God's glorious Son. So let's worship him as we read uh, the Gospel of John. We're going to focus this morning on verses 3 through 14, but I want to read uh, 3 through, uh, I'm sorry, we're going to focus on verses 4 through 13, but I want to read the whole section beginning at verse 1 to verse 18. Let's worship our Lord Christ as we hear of his glories in this passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart, him, apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Thanks be to God for his life-giving word. Do you ever wake up in the morning and it's pitch dark, not just outside, but inside? Do you ever find yourself having to battle against dark and discouraging thoughts first thing in the morning? I know I do. Wouldn't it be wonderful to wake up instead of dreading the day ahead of you or 
thinking about all the things you have to worry about. Instead, to have your first thought be, I have a Father in heaven who loves me, and he is with me, and he is for me, because I am a child of God. Wouldn't it be wonderful for your thoughts to quickly go to God and to be thankful for what he has done for you in Christ, especially on Christmas Day, but every day of your life? Listen, if you're a child of God, you are waking up into a world where everything is working together for your good and for God's glory. And you are waking up in a relationship of love from which nothing in all creation could ever separate you. So wouldn't you love for your thoughts immediately to rise to your Father in heaven with thankfulness that you are his child? This is why the Son of God came down from heaven. He came down from heaven to make you and me sons and daughters of God. And I want to speak to you very simply this morning about how you can become a child of God. And if you already are a child of God, how you can live in the enjoyment of that wonderful reality, how you can enjoy being God's son or daughter. And there are three aspects to becoming a child of God that we see in verses 4 through 13. First, becoming a child of God starts from a source outside of you. Second, becoming a child of God usually involves someone God sends to you. And finally, becoming a child of God requires a response. God works within you. Let's look at the first point in verses 4 and 5. Just like becoming a child in this world requires something that comes from outside yourself. You didn't make yourself a child of your parents. So does becoming a child of God. Becoming a child of God starts from a source outside of you. And the two Essential ingredients, if we could put it that way, the two essential ingredients to producing children of God, according to verses 4 and 5, are light and life. John makes it clear in verse 4 that we don't have this life in ourselves. The life we need is in him. We see that in verse 4. In him was life. And the question naturally arises, in whom? And the answer is, in the eternal word who was in the beginning with God and who himself is God, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, when the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep, like we read in Genesis 1, when there was nothing but darkness, darkness everywhere on earth, life could not exist where there was no light. But there was a source of eternal life. Before anything created was made, there was life because God is alive. God is life. Life resides in God and life resides in the eternal word who was with God and who himself is God. That's John's way of referring to Christ the Son of God. He is the eternal Word. He is the source of all life. In John 5, verse 26, Jesus puts it like this, For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life 
in himself, a self-existent eternal life that required no source from outside itself. That's what God in Christ has. And Christ is life. All living things find their life in him. If you are alive right now, whether you recognize it or not, you owe your life to Christ. But Christ didn't give you physical life simply so you can spend it on yourself. He gave you life so that you can come to know God who is the source of all life and knowing him, you will come to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. That's the reason we exist. There is a deeper life than simply physical life that Jesus came to bring. In him is the life, we read in the second part of verse 4, the life that is the light of all mankind. Here is the purpose of Christ coming into the world at Christmas. He came to bring light to all mankind. Like we sing in the Christmas carol, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. He brings light to all mankind without distinction, to male or female, young or old, to all races, all ethnicities, all levels of intelligence. His life is the light of all mankind. Look at what Jesus said in John 12, 46. This is an astonishing verse. I want us to read this together. Let's say it aloud. Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. Just let that settle in a bit. Jesus has come as light into the world so that whoever believes in him would not remain in darkness. So what does light do? Light dispels darkness. Darkness cannot drive out the light. Darkness cannot overpower light. If you have a room full of light, you cannot bring darkness into it to dispel the light. But if you have a room full of darkness, you can turn on a light and the light dispels the darkness. I love seeing my neighborhood on these dark December afternoons. I usually run around 5 o'clock and it's dark now. But there's lights all over the place shining into the darkness. It's just a beautiful metaphor of what Christ is in this dark world. And, and John 1 verse 5 says this, That light, the light that is in Christ, who is the life, that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overpower it. The darkness cannot overcome, cannot overpower the light that is in Christ. The light that is in Christ is going to keep shining and keep prevailing in this dark world. So what is this darkness that John is speaking of in verse 5? Well, it's the spiritual condition of humanity. It's the darkness of not knowing the truth about God. Even worse, it's the darkness of not wanting to know the truth about God, of not caring to know the truth about God. The light of Christ shines into the darkness and it exposes something very troubling about the human heart. And what it exposes is that we have suppressed the truth about God in our hearts. Our minds and hearts are full of the darkness of unbelief, of ignorance, of willful ignorance 
of God. John puts it like this in John 3, verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Shockingly, people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. But into the darkness of this world and into the darkness of our human hearts, this everlasting light keeps shining. In verse 9, we read that this is the true light that gives light to everyone. So light dispels the darkness. Light reveals what's there in human hearts. And light enlightens everyone. What, what this means in verse 9 is that Jesus is revealing truth about God through creation that every single person can see. Christ is revealing, he is shining forth into the world truth about God, into the consciences of, of human minds. And most importantly, through the words of the Bible, like you're hearing right now. Whenever you're hearing the Bible being read or taught or proclaimed, the true light of Christ is shining to give light and knowledge of the truth to you. Jesus is making God known to you. He is bringing you into the light about God. And if you will listen to him when he is revealing and shining his light into your heart, if you will listen to him, all the things that you might be thinking about God that are wrong can be replaced with truth. And all the places in your heart and mind that are empty and darkened, they can be filled and illuminated with the beauty of the light of truth that's in Christ. That's what light does. It dispels the darkness. It illuminates and enlightens with truth. It brings life, new life. So just like Christ the eternal word brought life and light to the original creation, like we saw in verses 1 through 3, he can do the same thing for you and for me. He can make us a new creation. Verses 1 through 3 are about creation. The verses we're in today are about new creation. What Christ can do for you and for me. I want to ask you if you've come to a point in your life yet where you've become just fed up with yourself with living in a way that's dependent on you? Do you feel like you wish you could begin again? Do you feel like you long to have a clean slate? Are there things over which you feel guilty or ashamed? And you desperately long for forgiveness and cleansing. Are you searching for meaning for wisdom, for knowledge of the truth? Are you trying to make sense of a world that is broken? Do you wonder if it's possible to be really and truly and fully loved, especially by someone who knows the worst about you? Will they still love you? Well, here's where it begins. Here's the source of this new life. Jesus came to replace everything that is broken and dead inside of you with his undying life. 
Jesus came to shine into his light. He came to shine his light into everything that is dark and hopeless in your heart. He came to give you the relationship that he has enjoyed with his Father in heaven for all eternity. Jesus came to welcome you into that eternal family of love where his experience as the Father's beloved Son can become your experience as well, where you can become a child of God. You can know that you are the Father's beloved as well. Jesus is the source of sonship and daughtership in the Father's family. Becoming a child of God comes from him to us. We can't find our way into the Father's family, but Jesus came into the world to take us by the hand and to bring us home into his Father's house. That's the first aspect of becoming a child of God. It comes from a source outside ourselves. It comes from him who is the life and the light of mankind. There's a second aspect of becoming a child of God that we see in this passage, and it's in verses 6 through 9. Becoming a child of God usually involves someone God sends to you, a messenger. That's what happened in the days of Jesus. Before Jesus' ministry on earth began, God sent a messenger, a forerunner, a signpost who prepared the way for human hearts to respond to Jesus when he came. His name was John. Not the John who wrote this gospel, but the John that's known as John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. He had this unique role of being a voice crying in the desert, getting human hearts ready to recognize Jesus when he came. The way he got people ready was by preaching. If they were prideful and self-righteous, if they had mountains of pride, John leveled those mountains by calling people to repent of their pride and self-righteousness. And if they were in valleys of despair, feeling like there was no hope left, John lifted up those valleys by preaching the comfort of a God who is a shepherd, who's going to come to carry his lambs in his arms and close to his heart. That's what John did. If they were distressed, they became filled with hope. If they were proud, they became humbled. When people heard John preach, the comfortable were disturbed, and those who were disturbed were comforted. And when Jesus finally came, he came to John, and John pointed at him, and John said, there he is, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That was John's role. What was he doing? Verse 7. He came as a witness to testify about the light. So that, what it, so that what? So that all might believe through him. That's the first appearance of a word that you're going to hear over and over and over again in this gospel. Do you know how many times the word believe appears in John's gospel? 97 times. It's the main theme of this gospel. John the Baptist made it very clear that he was not the Savior. Look at verse 8. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. 
The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, here's what I want you to see about how this relates to you and me. When God is about to give birth to a child in his family, he almost always sends a midwife to assist in the delivery. He sends a messenger who tells you something about Jesus. Maybe many messengers. Maybe it's someone you overhear in a restaurant and they're talking. They're talking about Jesus and it makes you want to know more. You start asking questions. Maybe it's someone you hear over the radio or a post you read on Instagram. Maybe it's a friend who asks you if you would be interested in reading the Bible. Or someone invites you to come to church. Maybe it's your parents who taught you early in your childhood about Jesus and, and, or your grandparents. And you've, you've drifted far, far, far from that. But you cannot get those words about Jesus out of your heart and mind. Here's the point. If you're hearing about Jesus, it's because God is inviting you into his family. He doesn't play hide and seek with you. He's not trying to tease you. He's a God, it says in verse 9, who gives light to everyone. He's a God who hates to see his creation walking in darkness. He is a God who shines. He is a God who communicates life and light. He is not a black hole absorbing matter and energy and sucking glory from all that exists without giving. He is a life-giving, light-giving, shining-out kind of God. That's the kind of God who made you. And he's sending his messengers to you. Even right now as I speak, he's calling you to come into the light. Pay attention to the messengers God sends your way. Thank him that he has not left you without a witness in this world. And give thanks today for those who have borne witness to you of the life and the light that are in Jesus. If you've received life in Christ through the witness of someone else, thank God for that and realize that now God is calling you to become a witness to others to testify, not about yourself, but about the one who is the life and the light of the world. Because this is almost always part of the process that God uses to bring new children into his family. He sends someone to us as a messenger. And when he does that, he's inviting us in to become the children of God. Finally, becoming a child of God requires a response that God works within you. It's, it's, it's not enough to just hear all these glorious truths about Christ. God doesn't give us John 1, 1 through 18, just to fill our minds with philosophical concepts or with great theological doctrines. He's not giving us these truths merely to impress us. He's, he's telling these things to transform our experience of life in this world and our eternal comfort and joy in the world to come. That's why he's telling us these things. Everything John tells us in the first nine verses of the prologue of this gospel, it's designed to make a direct impact from the eternal word who was in the beginning to the vulnerability of your own heart today in 2023. These truths call for something specific from us. What does it call for 
from us. What's the response? It's already been hinted at in verse 9, or in verse 7. It's a, that, that word that appears 97 times in John's gospel. The response is believe. It's the whole point of the gospel of John. At the end of the book in chapter 20, John tells us, oh, there are many, many more things I could tell you about Jesus. In fact, John says, so many things I could tell you about Jesus that if I were to write them all down, the world could not contain the books. That's how glorious Jesus is. Just a, a world full of libraries wouldn't be enough. But I have written what I've written, John says. These things I've written to you that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. That's the passionate pulse that's beating in every sentence, in every paragraph of this whole gospel, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. That's the response that God is calling for from these truths. Sadly, not everyone responds to Jesus with belief. That's the tragedy verses 10 and 11 describe. Jesus was rejected by Irreligious people and religious people. Verse 10 says he came into this world, this world that he himself made. Man's maker came into the world that he created, and yet we did not recognize him or esteem him as precious. We did not love him or obey him. And then he came to his own people, it says in verse 11 the ones he had brought out of Egypt and caused to be redeemed back in the book of Exodus, the people he guided through the wilderness and into the promised land. It says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. That's the tra tra tragic evidence of the darkness that is in mankind. Like the sun Jesus shines for all the world to see. He's the source of all spiritual light and life and warmth and health and vitality and beauty. And he shines for all mankind, regardless of their background or condition. And like the sun shining for all the world, Jesus is free for all. He shines for all. But people prefer to put bandages over our eyes and to go hiding in dark caves we love darkness rather than light. These are the symptoms of our spiritual deadness, and this deadness, like a plague, has spread over all of us. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Verse 12 makes it clear that those who are spiritually dead can be made alive. So how do you know if you're spiritually dead or alive? I like the way Tim Keller diagnoses it. He says, the best way to know you are alive is to know that you were once dead. And the way to know you are dead is that you don't know you're dead. So if this whole talk of spiritual deadness makes you think, what is that preacher going on about? Spiritual death? I'm not dead spiritually. That's proof that you're dead spiritually according to the Bible. 
But if you've been made alive, you know in your heart, I once was dead. There was a time when I had no ears to hear God's voice, no eyes to see his beauty, no taste for heaven's joy. I didn't savor spiritual realities. The loveliness of the life and the light of Christ had no impact on my heart. I couldn't see. And then one day, light started shining into my mind. And I started saying things like, why didn't I ever see that before? The answer is because I was dead. But he made me alive with him. And now I see I once was blind. But now I see. And what really happens when you see Christ for who he is? You open your heart to him. You receive him. You believe in his name. That's what verse 12 says. But to all who did receive him, he gave them, here's the beautiful phrase, the right to become the children of God. He welcomes you into the Father's family. He makes you a son a daughter of the God who created you. And that's for everyone who receives Jesus and who believes in his name. So what does that mean to receive him, to believe in his name? It means much, much more than simply to say, I believe in George Washington. I mean, I do. I, I have no doubt he was the first president of this country. I see him on the $1 bill. I believe he existed in history. I, I believe he has an important role in the life of our nation. But I'm not entrusting myself to him. I'm not, I'm not trusting my future to him. I'm not putting my hope in George Washington. To believe in Jesus is to receive Jesus and to accept him for everything that he says that he is. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when you receive him and when you believe in him, you say, Jesus, you are the way for me, the truth for me, the life for me, and there is no way I can come to the Father except through you. He is the wonderful counselor, and to believe in him is to say, Jesus, I am going to stop relying on my own understanding, and I'm going to look to the counsel of your word to guide me. He is the Lord, and so to believe in Jesus means to say, I'm no longer the ruler of my own life. I'm going to bow the knee to you, and I'm going to learn to obey everything that you command me. He is the king, and to believe in Jesus means that you fall before him as one would before the ruler of all things, and you say, I am now at your service, your majesty. You are my Lord, my king, and my God. That's what it means to receive Jesus. It's to receive him for everything that he says he is, the bread of life, the living water, the Savior, the King, the Good Shepherd. And believing him to be everything he says he is, you entrust yourself to him and you put your trust in him and you treasure him. You know, a doctor could say to you if you're sick, I have a medicine that works for everyone. And you could walk away and say, well, that's great. I'm glad he has a medicine that works for everyone. But it won't work for you. What he means, of course, is it works for everyone who takes it. It works for everyone who receives it. And that's the same response that the gospel demands of us. It's not enough to hear about these things. 
You must respond to Jesus and receive him and believe in his name. And when you do receive him and believe in his name, look at what he does for you. He gives the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And that's why I'm preaching today. I want that for you, and I want that for me. More importantly, God wants that for you. He wants you to know that you've become a child of God, that you've been reborn into his family, that you've become a new creation. This is a miracle you cannot create for yourself. But this God who is shining out into the darkness, this God who sent his son to become light into this world, he doesn't want you to remain in that darkness. What you need from God is faith to receive in and to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And God is able to create that faith in you today. If you find yourself this morning wanting to know more about Jesus, wanting to learn how to follow him, how to trust in him, that could be the first signs of a newborn cry inside you, signifying you've been born again, not in a natural way, but born again into the family of God. I would encourage you right now from your heart to cry out to God. Just say to God, thank you that your son Jesus came as light into this world so that I don't have to remain in darkness. I believe, help my doubts and fears and help me to put my trust in Jesus. Listen, the greatest joy you can have in this life is to know that you are personally known and loved by the God who made you. And you are treasured by him as one of his children. That you've been born into his forever family. And that no matter what happens to you in this life, it will work together in your Father's loving purposes for your good. And nothing in all creation can separate you from his love. There's no greater privilege, no greater peace, no greater comfort than knowing you are a child of God. And I want you to know that peace and comfort this Christmas season. God wants you to know that peace, that comfort. That's why he sent me as a messenger to testify to you about Jesus, the life and the light of the world. But for those of us who already know that we are God's children, and maybe you've known it for a long time, how do we live in the good of that truth this week? How does that affect us? I want my first thoughts in the morning to go toward God to be grateful for all that he has done for me and given me in Christ, especially that I am his child. I want to embrace, treasure, and delight in Christ as my life and my light. I want to rest deeply in the comfort and peace of being a child of God. And as I was preparing this message this week, I found myself waking up in the morning feeling more burdened by life's difficulties than blessed by the fact that I am God's child. That was my dissonant experience. And the Lord used two things this week to turn my thoughts back toward this wonderful truth. The first, the Christmas concert, Friday night. How beautiful, how life-giving. The peace that comes from resting 
in the fact that God sent his son from heaven to be our savior in this dark world. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what we celebrate at Christmas and the music ministered to my heart. And the second thing God used is a sermon by my dear friend, Mike Bullmore. Mike was basically saying, we can get into this rut in our thinking. We can get caught in this trap. We can start thinking that the goal of the Christian life is to maintain a certain level of respectability. We can start thinking a lot about how others view us or how we view ourselves instead of thinking deeply and often about the fact that we have a Father in heaven who loves us and delights to call us his children. We're personally valued. We're dearly loved by him. And Mike was saying, when this thought pattern sets in, boy, it completely eclipses the good news of the gospel of what Christ has done. It makes us feel like we can't be real about what we're struggling with. That we've got to bear it all ourselves like orphans in this world. That we can't share or admit our weakness or our need. So we shrink back into the darkness of doubt and fear and trying to hold it all together and we're anxious. Mike said this gospel that we're reading here, praise God, it's not about trying to live a respectable life in the eyes of others or even in your own eyes. The gospel is about what Christ has done for us to make us God's beloved children. And the gospel assures us that we are loved in the midst of our struggles with a love that is unassailable, unbreakable, and with a father from whom we are inseparably joined. God has brought us into a status of sonship in his family. He's given us life in Christ. As Mike said these words, the light of the gospel flooded into my heart with renewed peace and joy. He said, living the Christian life is not about arriving at a point in your life where it appears that you've got everything together. I'm so grateful for that. I need to be reminded of that. He said, it's about being given something by God through Christ, which is far more substantial and far more freeing ground to stand on than my own respectability. We are the children of God. So wherever you find yourself today, look to Christ, who is your life and your salvation. Receive him afresh. Entrust yourself completely to him. Throw yourself on him with all your fears and doubts and anxieties and rest your soul in what he has done for you. Live in the good of what God the Son came down from heaven to earth to bring you. We're going to Live that out now as we come to the Lord's table in communion.